Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Pelicans fans, my name's Elliot Clough, but you already knew that. I hope you enjoyed yesterday's podcast with Matt Moderno of Believe in the Washington Wizards. Today, I'm joined by Gerald Borgay, junior editor at Fansided. He's been covering the Phoenix Suns for five years now, so he, he's been in the game for a little while, been writing for Fansided for a hot minute, to say the least. Today, he joined me. We talked a little bit about what we did yesterday with Matt as far as Zion being Rookie of the Year, possible picks come this NBA draft for the Pelicans. But we also talked about how this is affecting people in the sports industry like myself and like Gerald. What Gerald thinks will happen as far as the NBA restarting with the situation that we're in with the coronavirus. And we did talk a little bit about the Suns too and switched it up a little bit here on believe in New Orleans Pelicans, but here is my conversation with Gerald Bourget of Fansided. All right, and we are joined here by Gerald Bourget of, what exactly do you do again, Gerald? Yeah, so I'm a uh, junior editor with Fansided uh, for their NBA content. Okay. Cool. There we go. You'll hear that in the first section. I wanted to make sure I got that right here before I record that. But once again, we're being joined by Gerald Bourget today. Talk a little bit, of course, about what we've got going on with the NBA, the coronavirus. Um, Talk a little bit about the Pelicans as well. And then hear a little bit about the Suns, too, because Gerald has been covering them for a hot second. But here we are. How has that... uh, the hiatus that we're in the middle of, Gerald, how has it affected you? I, I, you're involved um, quite a bit with, with Fansided, and you've been covering the Suns. Uh, you live-tweet a lot of their games. H- how are you doing right now? Um, I'm not going to lie. The last two weeks have been kind of rough, and you look around, all your friends are in quarantine, and uh, they're kind of going crazy. It goes a little bit doubly for people like me who are involved in sports because you know, that's normally where we go to escape. And for me, that's where I go to escape and where I go to work. So um, it's very weird to not have NBA basketball to cover right now. And, you know, we're used to that during the off season, but it's just kind of weird given that the season was, you know, taken away from us. And obviously the league did the right thing, suspending its season until further, further notice, but um, it's been difficult to come up with ideas for content, not only because, you know, it, it kind of feels gimmicky if you're, you know, we, we've got to focus on evergreen stuff like, you know, lists and all-time best players and stuff like that that people just aren't as much in the mood to read right now because sports are on hiatus. So it, it kind of feels like a way to, you know, attract clicks. But the fact of the matter is we still need to be, we still got to keep the lights on somehow. Um, so it is hard to come up with creative content that people actually enjoy. Um, it seems like a lot of people are, staying more away from you know twitter and and places where they would be checking out our content um just given the nature of this quarantine there's only so many hours in a day you can spend on twitter um it's been challenging you know budget cuts are coming it's one of those things where you gotta just do your best to come up with creative ideas that will 
keep people engaged in the meantime and uh, hope that this thing goes away in the next couple of months and that people are staying home to help curb its spread. You hit so many points there, Gerald, but like I, I have to agree. Covering sports right now and just being in the sports industry at all is not easy at in the slightest. Um, I, I currently work part-time for the Wisconsin State Journal, and um, I'm, I'm lucky to have taken that job rather than a full-time job in my home state of Iowa because I probably would have been laid off just covering high school sports right now. Right. It's it's very difficult, and I, I feel for a lot of the sports journalists out there, and Honestly, it's one of those things where, you know, we need to support local businesses if we can. We need to, you know, if we can, order that takeout meal or whatever just to keep a local restaurant in business. But it's kind of similar with sports journalism right now, as bad as it sounds to say. Like, we, you know, and I'm part of the problem, too, is over the last two weeks, it's just easy to not want to read sports-related material because, you know, it's not in season you know it's just it's it's a weird feeling to be reading sports content and knowing that you know it could be months down the road before we're actually watching real sports games again um it it just kind of has that depressing air about the last couple weeks so i haven't been you know reading as much nba content as i normally would when the season's been formed because you want to digest as much as you can you want to read about the teams that you don't get to watch on a nightly basis now that's all of them, and it just feels like, you know, there's so much content out there, and none of it is as relevant as it normally would be, unfortunately. So uh, it, it's definitely hard working in this industry right now, and hopefully in a couple of months, things will look radically different than they do now in a good way. For sure. And looking at where we're at right now, I had this conversation with Matt Moderno yesterday on the podcast. We were talking about, and I talked about it on Tuesday by myself, but um, I've looked at a couple ideas of solutions, how the NBA will move forward with where we're at right now. My first three things that I came up with were shorten the regular season, and this is all uh, assuming that we that we are able to restart again, at least maybe in May from what Mark Cuban is saying, maybe June, July, who really knows at this rate. But the solutions look to be shorten the regular season, shorten the playoffs, um, or maybe even just void the regular season, the rest of the regular season, and move right into the playoffs, and maybe even keep the sh- playoffs shortened. Depends on where we're at with this curve. But uh, Matt brought up the idea of having play-in games for the playoffs, considering 8-9-10, at least in the West, is still really close. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, looking at it from a league perspective, they're going to do what they can to preserve as many of those remaining regular season games and preserve the current playoff format as they can. Um, Whether they're able to do that is another question entirely. I don't think... It's possible. I mean, if you look at the Chinese Basketball Association, this is something I wrote about uh, for this morning, actually. If you look at the CBA, they were out of commission. They just pushed back their restart from April 15th to May, which would put them at around four months since they suspended their league. If the NBA did the same, that would be about mid-July when they're coming back to play. And honestly, I think that might be optimistic given the drastic measures that China took to curb the spread of coronavirus. You know, we're talking government-mandated lockdowns um, to really combat its spread. 
the United States is under the impression that everything's going to be hunky dory by April or by um, you know Easter. I, I don't see that happening, um, and I feel like it's going to get worse here. So, I mean, the NBA. I think Wojnarowski reported uh, two days ago that the league is kind of looking at Labor Day weekend in September as as a date where they would ideally want to be wrapping up the finals by then. Um, they're not tied to that date because, again, they want to preserve as much of the regular season as they can. But uh, I, I don't know. If they could be forced into a situation where they do something like a play on, play-in game um, if, you know, this thing lasts too long. Honestly, I feel like we could be getting closer to territory where the season winds up being canceled, the regular season. Um, a play-in game would be exciting, and it would be – something that I think Adam Silver might be open to. I, I think he's open to most ideas. He's a very open commissioner as far as uh, wanting to experiment with things, always you know, kind of striving to try out these new tweaks to see how they work. You think about the uh, coaches challenge. You think about the mid-season uh, tournament, that, that idea that's been kicked around. He's very open to that kind of experimentation. So I think he's going to keep all options on the table evaluate each one as time passes and we get a more clear time frame of what we're working with and then go from there. But from a money perspective, you can be guaranteed that after losing millions with this and also the China controversy from last year, um, the league is going to try and hold on to as much money as it can. Absolutely. And you said it, the, the league wants these games to happen, but it's just about logistics and if the government will ultimately allow it to happen because we'll probably get to a point where it will get mandated as far as the 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 massive groups getting together but um you know you and i being guys who cover the nba we also obviously want this to happen and the play-in game i think is really interesting i think it's a great idea the nba definitely wants zion and the pelicans in the playoffs too (laughs) right it, it would be a tough shake for the Grizzlies because, you know, people were talking about how that that spot is up for grabs, but, you know, they have a 3.5 game lead over the three teams that are facing them right now with something like 17 or 18 games to go. That's a pretty significant margin to overcome in that time. And, you know, they were about to get Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark back, Justice Winslow, um, now that there's been this hiatus, they'll have all of them back. So I'm not sure if anyone would be able to overcome that gap. I think it would be a lot of fun to see Zion in the playoffs. Um, and obviously you can never count out a team that has Damian Lillard on it, like the Blazers. But um, I think they would have been hard-pressed to make up that gap. And, uh, you know, I, I think this could favor the Grizzlies if the league has to just cancel the rest of the regular season and jump right into the playoffs, but it could also really come back to bite them if they do experiment around and and go for a play in game or something like that. And you'd obviously see a lot of upset Grizzlies fans if they didn't win that game. You're right. You know, for the Pelicans in order to squeak in, I looked at the remainder of their schedule. It's, it's not as difficult as it could be by any means there's eight 18 games left and i said in the most 
ideal of situations, the Pelicans would squeak out at 14 and four and be able to get over 500, that 500 hump that they haven't been able to reach, considering they went six and 22 early on. You know, that's that's quite the quite the jump to make, but it would it would be a miracle of sorts for the Pelicans to squeak into that eight spot, even if we have the the rest of the regular season. Right. I mean, you, you look at the Pelicans' remaining schedule, it's pretty favorable, and the Grizzlies is, is decidedly more difficult. Um, it's just it's hard to say how months off is going to affect everyone. Um, you know, they were interviewing Kevin Booker on NBA TV the other day, and he was basically saying, yeah, I'm playing like five to ten hours of Call of Duty. The exercise I'm getting right now is like walking my dog, and that's pretty much it. Um, and I feel like a lot of NBA players are kind of similar. I mean, you know a guy like LeBron James is probably going to keep up his training regimen, but most of these guys understand that this is going to be a while before we're back in action. So this is kind of like, you know, a break or an off season for them where they can unwind um, obviously, when we have a clearer time frame of when we're returning to action, they'll get back into it, get back in shape and all that stuff. But some guys have never dealt with that before, and Zion's probably one of them. Um, you know, I'm not going to pull Mark Jackson and start calling him fat all the time. But like, <laughs> it, but no it, fat it, shaming on the New Orleans Pelicans yeah, podcast. Never, no fat <laughs> shaming in general, but yes, especially <laughs> yeah. not with Zion. Yeah, move like Zion can, you don't get to say anything. But Exactly. Um but no, like even NBA rookies, like they've struggled with, you know, staying fit and developing the right habits over the summer because they've never experienced the grind of an 82-game regular season before, and they've never, you know, experienced what a productive offseason looks like. That's why veterans are so important in this league. Um, I remember back to Marquise Chris. He had a great or a decent first NBA season, was very athletic, could fly out of the gym, and then he came back his second year, and he had put on something like 20 pounds over the summer because he just didn't have the right eating habits. He wasn't in shape. He just didn't know what he should be doing with his time. So for a guy like Zion, that could maybe apply, and, and that's because we don't know when we're going to be back. We don't know what timeline we should be looking at as far as, okay, I can rest until this point, and then I can get back in the gym and start exercising again at this point. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see which players are affected by this in that way, um, just planning their you know, mid-season, off-season that we're, we find ourselves in. So transitioning here, we're going to talk a little bit more about Zion and, and the rookies of this season. Zion's only played 19 games. Now you've been around a really young team the last few years with Booker, with DeAndre Ayton, with um, other guys. Do you think that Zion has anywhere near of a chance? Let's say that we do get the remainder of these 18 games and he's able to play 30, what would that be? 37 games total, as opposed to Ja, who will have reached probably over 70 games. Is there any way that you think Zion can win Rookie of the Year? Uh, Realistically, I don't think so. I, I think it would take Zion missing the remainder of the regular season and, or I'm sorry, Jaw missing the remainder of the regular season and Zion playing out each one of those games and just being absolutely dominant is what it would take. Because you look at the game count right now, he's got 59 games, Zion's only got 19. That's a big gap to make up. 
Um, and it, it kind of reminds me of when Malcolm Brogdon won Rookie of the Year. Obviously, that's the one that everyone points to. Joel Embiid was the best rookie that season, but he only played 44 games, so they went in a different direction, and, and probably deservedly so. Um, you know, Zion, we don't even know if he would get to that mark, depending on when we return and injuries, stuff like that. You never know. Um I think it's one of those cases where, like Embiid, Zion is clearly the best rookie this season, but there's a little bit more that goes into Rookie of the Year than just that. So um, I, I think this is definitely going to go to Jaw unless something bad happens to him, which, of course, we never wish on anyone. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's a very low chance that Zion winds up winning it dominant as as he's been when he's been out there and you addressed it we we talked about it yesterday too on the pod with matt moderno of uh believe in the washington wizards he he brought up brogdon and Embiid as well and um that's that's the one that we have to go to right now and jaw i think jaw has had i don't have the stats in front of me but just by the eye test you've got to say jaw has been probably better than malcolm brogdon was his rookie year um, oh yeah so it it's it's easy to hand this to Jaw. So Jaw is having an incredible season, and, and he looks like he's going to be great for years to come. the The comparisons are Russell Westbrook, and we all know we all know how how talented he is, and the the perennial triple double guy that he's become, the MVP, lead MVP that he's become. I I'd be very very surprised if Jaw does not win Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I mean, and. You look at it like the year that Malcolm Brogdon won, he still won even though there was some kind of trepidation. Like he was a very underwhelming rookie of the year winner. Like we'll just get that out of the way. He was not only because his numbers were kind of meh, um, it was mostly the fact that he played a lot more games and that he was a capable starter on a good Milwaukee Bucks team, which gave him the edge over Joel Embiid who played – you know, barely half the season, and the Sixers weren't that competitive compared to the Bucks. Um, you look at what Jaw's doing, it's, it's you know, Malcolm Brogdon is the comparison, but Jaw is no Malcolm Brogdon for sure. He's averaging, you know, 17.6 points, 6.9 assists, um, shooting 49% from the field and almost 37% from three. Like, the, the Grizzlies, he's still a – he's got a minus .01 in point differential and Zion is a plus 6.3. So there's a big gap there, but obviously the sample size really matters in that respect. And he's got the Grizzlies three games, you know, in his 59 games, the Grizzlies are three games above 500. So it's been really impressive what he's done. Mostly you see rookie point guard struggle. Um, he really hasn't. He's responded to every challenge. He's relished every challenge. And, um, you know, he, he definitely deserves it so far. Like I said, Zion's the best rookie, but John Morant's probably the rookie of the year. So if the regular season is over, the Pels would be slated to pick in the middle. They'd be towards the end of the draft lottery. And who knows? Maybe we'll maybe we'll run into another crazy situation where the Pels get the number one overall pick and uh, get James Wiseman and whatever. Um, probably not going to happen. We were very lucky to have received Zion last year and that number one overall pick. But um, do you believe in their position to draft best available? Matt and I talked about it yesterday, and, and that's just kind of the way the league is set up. Um, you're more likely to benefit from from drafting the best overall player 
wherever you're at in in the in the draft. But do you think that's where the Pelicans are best lined up to move forward? Um, you know, I'm kind of on the fence about that because this draft is a weird draft and it's kind of lacking in established talent. Um, and that makes it difficult for a team like the Pelicans that's like mostly young on the cusp of making that leap to playoff contention could very well make it this year if we play out the rest of the regular season. Um, so that makes it a little bit harder to identify some of their draft needs and whether they should just go with best player available or, you know, kind of tailor the pick a little bit more to fit their needs. Um, you know, Pelicans are a top five three-point shooting team. Their defense, they're 20th in defensive rating. Um, so adding a little defense would be nice, but it's it's kind of hard to say right now, especially because there are so many guys that could go in so many different ranges this year. Um, I feel like unless the Pelicans are very confident they have a guy that they want specifically, um, they kind of need to keep their options open in a draft like this year. You know, I've I've looked at multiple mock drafts, and there seems to be very little consensus anywhere. And, right. And that you you hit it on the head. It's just a strange draft with a lot a lot of young guys. Yeah, I mean it's it's challenging. Like I normally this is the time of year when we're getting to see a lot of these prospects in March Madness, and I feel like that makes it even more difficult. Um, some guys get the benefit of that March Madness bump. Um, you know, it, it's it's like Carson Edwards. Um, he was absolutely phenomenal in the NCAA tournament, and it you know he was great all year. But he was just a firecracker in that tournament, and it really boosted his draft standing. And guys like that need this tournament. So especially in a draft like this year, where a strong tournament run can really boost your standing because there aren't that many prospects that are like, yes, this guy needs to be a lottery pick. This guy needs to be a top 10 or a top five because it's that kind of year. It's really unfortunate that March Madness is obviously canceled because we're not going to get to see those performances. And there could be, you know, a late bloomer that we'd normally see in March Madness that we won't see until after the draft process is over and, and guys are already on their teams. So there could be a lot of steals in this year's draft. There could be a lot of busts in this year's draft. I, I hate those kinds of labels, but um, it's going to be really important for teams to take this time to really look at what little film we have for all of these guys because um, the draft process is going to be very different this year. You're exactly right. And And thinking about guys who are in the draft, Cole Anthony is probably benefiting because UNC wasn't in all likelihood, unless they made the craziest run ever in the ACC tournament, um, they probably weren't going to make the NCAA tournament. So, whereas a guy like, I don't know, Nico Mannion could have had a crazy, crazy time in the NCAA tournament and just shot up draft boards, Cole Anthony's probably going to continue to sit up top there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... It's, it's like I said, it's very hard to tell where players are going to go. Um, you know, the whole North Carolina thing was very disappointing, and now we don't get to see how the rest of their season played out. Um, I, I think it's interesting. A couple of mock drafts that I've seen have had 
um, you know, the Pelicans taking a guard, you know, trying to look for complementary talent for Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, and to kill Alexander Walker. I, I feel like that's one position that they might already be set on. Um, but but I am curious what your thoughts are on as as far as what this team's needs would be heading into a draft and, and whether they there is a player that stands out that might address some of them. Sure. You know, I haven't looked too much into it quite yet. Now is about the time where I'll probably start doing that just because, uh, you know, that's that's a summer thing for, for the majority of, of us who are covering the NBA. But um, I would I would agree with what you said earlier on about about defense. Uh, you know, Zoe is a talented defender. Drew is a good defender. Derek Favors is known for his defense, but it's the wing defender that's really the big need for the Pelicans right now, if if I do say so myself. Um, I You know, Matisse Thibel would have been a great addition if this was the same, I don't know, let's say he, he stuck around for another year and, and, and decided to come out this year. That would have been the ideal pick probably for, for the Pelicans, a guy like that. Whereas I haven't heard or seen much of a real defensive guy this this first uh, first round draft, the mock drafts that I've seen. Um, it, you know, I, I, were ho- I was hoping they would acquire a 3 and D kind of guy around the trade deadline, like a Ro- Robert Covington. Obviously, he went to Houston, so that didn't work out. But um, you said that they're, they are a talented shooting team. They are. That, that's, they've got J.J. Redick. They've got Drew. Lonzo is shooting or was shooting lights out before this, this hiatus came around. But I, I would tend to lean defense at the moment um, at, at the wing position preferably. Yeah, and I think especially because of Brandon Ingram, you know, he's, he's a good defender in his own right, but he's not the guy that you want to be your lockdown defender, not just because, not because he can't do it, but because you need the offense that he's able to bring to the table as well. So I think a three and D wing would definitely be, you can never have too much shooting. And like we've mentioned, the defense is what needs the most work on this team. So if you are building a team around Zion and, um, you know, eventually we get to the point where Zion is, is something of a point forward, not, you know, a Ben Simmons lead kind of point forward, but like a secondary creator, um, you're going to need as much shooting to space the floor to open up avenues for him as possible. So um, I, I think the Pelicans are not quite there yet where we can rule out a best player available approach, but, you know, the best player available in a draft like this one probably is going to wind up being a 3 and D wing of some sort. So, Looking forward, for general NBA fans out there, Gerald, you do cover the Suns. You've been covering them since 2015, you said? Yeah. 2015. So, been a hot minute that you've been uh, in the desert. So, the Suns have more wins this year than they did the previous four years, and the season is not over. Um, what's been the What's been the difference this year? Monty Williams, DeAndre Ayton, D-Book, what is it? Um, kind of all of the above, and honestly, I would start with having a real NBA point guard and actual NBA veterans who can contribute on the floor is a big difference. Um, a lot of people, that's, am, a, that's, that's a, a new thing, thing for, for the Suns. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. If you, if you look at their veterans over the past few years, it's been, um, you know, Trevor Ariza, who was here on a one-year $15 million deal, which was a mistake because he had looked like he had given up by November. They dumped him literally the 
first day that they could in December when you could trade recently signed free agents because he didn't look like he cared. And he didn't know what he was getting himself into with this young team. Um, part of that is on Ariza. Part of that is on the Suns for not having a stable infrastructure. And part of that is on the young talent for just never having stability. You look at Devin Booker coming into this season, Monty Williams was going to be his fifth coach heading into his fifth NBA season. That's just not good for young players who aren't, you know, just immediate talents, like undeniable talents like Booker or Ayton. Um, the other guys that need to be developed, guys, you look back at guys like Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender, they needed stability. They needed a head coach who knew what he was doing. They needed NBA veterans who could show them on the court what they needed to be doing. Um, you know, guys like Tyson Chandler, Jared Dudley, God bless them, but they were well beyond their years of, you know, having a real positive night-in, night-out impact on the court. So having guys like Ricky Rubio, Dario Saric, um, even Frank Kaminsky to agree who have to a degree who have been in this league for a few years, who know how to just play basketball on somewhat competitive teams is a difference. Um, Rubio, the Suns haven't had a point guard, a real like starting caliber point guard since Eric Bledsoe, and even he wasn't a you know, facilitator or a guy who sets up the offense. He was more of a score first kind of guy. So Rubio is the first like real point guard that Devin Booker has been able to play with. And we've seen the results. He's been more efficient than ever. He's been better than ever this season. Um, for most of the season, he was hovering around 50, 40, 90 territory, just having a guy who could help set him up, having a guy who could run the offense because last year Booker was both the shooting guard and the point guard at times. Um, he was their best playmaker, and it's nice to have somebody who can take some of that pressure off of him. Kelly Oubre has been having a career season, taking some of that offensive load off of Booker. Um, and then Monty Williams has done a good job. You know, there are some things that he will need to adjust because a lot of teams adjusted to what he was doing early on, and it seems like he never really adjusted again. But um, he's building a culture here. And it's finally good to see that taking flight. Mikel Bridges has been great ever since they put him in the starting lineup at the four. Um, it seems like the Suns actually have a core five that they can build around between Rubio, Booker, um, Oubre, Bridges, and Ayton. And Ayton's been great, too. I need to point that out. His defense has been very improved from last year. I'm not ready to call him you know, a plus defender just yet. But he's getting there, and he's showing signs that he can do it, which was his biggest question, you know, heading into the draft process in last year. So it's been an improvement across the board, but honestly the biggest thing is having a real NBA point guard and having actual NBA players, which sounds basic, but for the Suns it's been a struggle. <laughs> that it has. You mentioned that, I mean, to be quite honest, I thought the Suns might make the playoffs this year, the way they were playing early on. and. Um, they just looked like they're having fun, and that seems to be new as well for for the Suns. It's it's easier to have fun when you win games, you know. Um, so so what needs to happen for them to make that next jump to being playoff contenders again? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of it this year was. I, I mean, I hate to chalk up a team underperforming to injuries, um, but you look at the timeline of the Suns' injuries, and they were less than convenient. 
Um, you know, DeAndre Ayton gets suspended after the first game of the season, gets suspended for 25 games. Aaron Baines comes into the lineup and just absolutely kills it in his absence, but then he gets hurt. Ricky Rubio's hurt for a couple games here and there. Um, you know, Kelly Oubre, who has been, you know, kind of the rock as far as starting so many games for the Suns and only missing a couple, then he hurts his knee, um, you know, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Devin Booker has been healthy for the most part, which has been huge. It's been the only reason that they've been able to surpass their win total in recent years. But, um, you know, the Suns lose Frank Kaminsky, who was actually a pretty decent bench piece for them as far as being able to score. Um, I, I think they also need to address their backup point guard position. This year they've kind of been waffling between Javon Carter, um, you know, the defense and the three-point shooting that he's brought, um, Ty Jerome, the guy that they drafted in the first round they traded to draft him. Uh, he kind of dealt with a se- an injury early on in the season and has really struggled to kind of find his footing. And then Elia Kobo, who is a second-year player, still very young, still developing. He's shown a lot of flashes, but has lately been very bad whenever he's been on the floor. So they still have – they need to bring in some bench scoring, um, you know, not having Kaminsky really hurt. But, uh, you know, you look at what the Suns did this year, it's a, it's really impressive. They were on pace for something like 30 or 32 wins, which coming into the season I said would have been a huge success for them just based on having yet another new head coach, having a lot of young players, and, uh, you know, having a lot of new faces to incorporate in a new system. So I, I think to make that playoff leap – Next year, they definitely need to address the bench, bring in a couple more guys who can help on that front, and uh, just count on continued progress from Booker, Aiton, Bridges, et cetera. Um, and hopefully a little bit, you know, every team is going to have injuries, but they need to hopefully be timed a little bit better next year. All right, so there you have it. Gerald Bourget covering the Phoenix Suns for fan-sided. Gerald, how can we follow you on social media, see some of your writing, stuff like that? Um, yeah, you can check out our writing on uh, fansided.com slash NBA. Um, that's where all of the Step Backs content is. And uh, you can also find it on Twitter or follow me on Twitter um, at G-E-R-A-L-D-B-O-U-R-G-U-E-T, Gerald Bourget. Might not need to repeat that one more time. I'll just have them. I'll just have them rewind when they play this. So if you missed it, just rewind. That's a last name for you. All right. So once again, Gerald Bourget of Fansided joining us today. Thanks so much for joining us, Gerald. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Elliot. Hey again, Pels fans. Thanks for tuning in today to my conversation with Gerald Borgay, Jr. Editor at Fansided. Just got to give you those reminders one more time. Go follow me on Twitter. You'll be getting a lot of sports content there, a lot of Pelicans and New Orleans content there specifically. It's just at Elliot Clough. And if you have any questions, anything you want to say, anything that you want to be said on the podcast, feel free to just at me, E-L-I-O-T-C-L-O-U-G-H. And of course, you can just hashtag what the Pell is up. I want to hear from you. I want to be engaging with you, the fan, on Twitter especially. And while you're here, go subscribe, leave a rate and review. That really helps out the podcast. The more you do that, the better guests and better quality content we'll be able to get 
to you. Follow Believe on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can check out a plethora of their podcasts on Believe.com or just head over to wherever you're listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcasts. And I've got that article. I'm working on it today. I promise it'll be put up. I'll be sending it to my editor tonight, and it will be posted in all likelihood tomorrow for you to read on Fansided. That'll be on Hoops Habit Fansided's NBA page. Don't forget to shoot me any questions, comments, or concerns you might have over on Twitter. You can DM me, just at me, or you can, of course, hashtag what the Pell is up. I am Elliot Clough, and this was Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.